sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence-based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it is that we do is we make lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hello, this is Marie and I have the pleasure of speaking with Alex Giannini, Sterling Quinn and Emma Ball. Along with Professor Jenny Oates and Georgia Dukakis, Alex Sterling and Emma recorded a panel presentation for Speech Pathology Australia titled Foundations of Speech Pathology Practice with Trans and Gender Diverse Young People and Adults. Emma Ball is a certified practicing speech pathologist with over 10 years of clinical experience working across varied health and education facilities in the UK and Australia. She is the current Voice Clinic Coordinator at La Trobe University's Communication Clinic across three days a week, providing clinical services and student placements for final year speech pathology students. Emma is a member of the Australian Professional Association for Trans Health and sits on their Education Subcommittee. Emma is also a member of both the Victorian Voice Interest Group and the Victorian Gender Identity in Voice Working Group. Alex Giannini is widely recognised as a leader in the assessment and treatment of paediatric voice disorders. She has a wealth of experience working with young transgender and gender diverse adolescents. After completing her speech pathology degree in Melbourne, Alex continued postgraduate training in child communication, family therapy, research, clinical teaching and bioethics. She is a regular presenter at professional voice conferences. And Sterling Quinn is a certified practicing speech pathologist and voice research coordinator working out of La Trobe University's communication clinic. Sterling is also a PhD candidate investigating the effectiveness of intensively delivered voice feminization training for the trans feminine client. Sterling is a member of and advocate for the LGBTQI community with a specific interest in representation and accommodation of gender diversity and non-binary gender identities in clinical practice. So Alex, Emma and Sterling, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so firstly, can you just tell us a little bit about um, how you ended up working in this particular space? Emma, I think we'll start with you. Beautiful. So I have always had a bit of um, involvement with voice and I've always worked with general voice clients. And when I was at university, there was no course or awareness of this area. And I moved to Melbourne and I saw a PD on general voice and trans and gender diverse voice run here at La Trobe. And I thought, that's interesting. So I came along to that PD and from that point, I was hooked. So luckily, when the job position became available and I applied, I was lucky enough to get the role here. And I've since been working at La Trobe for three years. And you love it? I love it. It's the best. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yep. Alex, what about you? Ah, been in voice for a very long time and working at the Children's Hospital in Melbourne. I was also, um, well, I was part of the gender service there. And uh, kind of the two came together. I worked in voice for a long time. The gender service started um 
receiving um, young people who were very concerned and distressed about their voices. So, you know, I just became part of that service um, and worked with um, a diverse sort of age range as, as well as um, identity presentation. What particular age ranges did you work with? Uh, well, I guess, look, the majority of cases were um, between sort of 15 to 18, um, but generally the older adolescents, so 16, 17, 18. And Sterling, what about you? What attracted you to this particular space? Um, so I'm a trans person myself. I've experienced the the potential dysphoria around voice when, you know, the voice is such an important part about expressing who you are. Um, it affects all of your social interactions. Um, I've experienced those negative feelings when it doesn't quite express who you are or align with what you're trying to present to the world, I guess. And I've also experienced the, the really positive feelings when it does, when you can express yourself through your voice. But... Um, I was actually about halfway through my speech pathology degree um, before I even realised that as both a, almost a speech pathologist and a trans person that speech pathologists can provide these services. So that was a few years ago, but I think it says a lot about how far we still have to go in terms of awareness among speech pathologists that we can work in this space and also among the trans community that these services are out there as well. So. Um, I guess from there, when I realised it was something I could do, I was very interested and I found it really rewarding, um, helping other people find their voices and learning a lot about myself and my own voice in the process. So, yeah, It's uh, amazing that you were halfway through the course before you were even aware that that was available for speech pathologists. I know, actually, it was one of my roommates that told me. Um, <laughs> that I was, and I'm like, oh, really? That's something I can do? Hmm, yeah, that's okay. I'll look into that. So you must be feeling very, you must feel very passionate then about working in this space, knowing that how much it can have a positive impact oh, on the person. Oh, absolutely, on that, that personal level as well, yeah. It's yeah, fantastic. So why do you feel that this work is so important, Alex? Well, voice is a building block, The really probably the most fundamental. Maybe breath comes before voice mm. or the two go together. So really it is the building block to verbal expression, verbal communication. So it is really critical, especially if you don't like the sound of your own voice and it distresses you. It kind of really, you know, affects your whole communication. Um, so it is very important. Emma, what about you? Yeah, so I think along those lines, uh, some of the clients that we see and why this isn't so important is how much society can actually perceive a voice and negatively impact on somebody's life externally, so not just for the person themselves. So some of the clients we have that come here can be... Um, physically or verbally abused on the public transport or discriminated against in work. So these are some of the reasons, again, especially with some of our clients looking to feminise their voices, that we really work on those goals. We have uh, a client that said here before, I can do everything to look a certain way, but as soon as I open my mouth, that's, that's my giveaway. So Alex was saying that the predominant age group through the Royal Children's Hospital was around... 16 to 18. Uh, with you, Sterling, what particular age group are you finding coming through your clinics here at La Trobe University? Um, we see people from, again, that late adolescent sort of age range, as young as 15, up into people in their 70s, 
and um, that's people looking to feminise their voice, um, masculinise their voice. Some people have goals that don't fit neatly into one of those two characters. It can be about exploring utility or flexibility of presentation through their voice. Um, it very much varies. We see such a huge range of people and it's, it's definitely growing. Our demand for services just keeps going up every year. And I, mm. um, it's been the same at other services as well. Yes. Well, let's talk about demand then. What about the Royal Children's Hospital? What's the demand like there for the services? Well, I can't tell you about the demand right now because I'm, I, uh, I'm no longer there. But certainly when I, uh, sort of from 2013, 14, right through to 2019, it really um, began to build, um, you know, where probably about, you know, I think about almost 50% of young people who came through to the service had a question about their voice, yes. had a concern about their voice. So um, that's a lot of young people. Mm-hmm. And that not all of those young people had a dysphoria around their voice, but certainly had questions. Mm, I think that's an important point to make as well. For some people, there is very much that negative feeling, but we also work with plenty of people who don't necessarily have strong negative feelings about their voice but even for those people being able to explore how they express themselves through the voice can be a really positive and affirming experience because Mm -hmm. like Alex said it's such a huge part of how we express ourselves even when we're just talking about ourselves all of that is through the lens of our voice so it's Mm. it can be a huge thing for so many people yes and also you know I mean it it falls within the realm of our work because you know as speech pathologists we are concerned with well-being and social Mm. acceptance Mm. so that is a really big part Mm. of our work and And communication and and communication absolutely absolutely. so all of that yeah exactly all of that fits in very neatly and Mm. very solidly into our area Mm. of work And Emma, what's the demand like here at La Trobe University? Do you have a wait list? Do you have many people who come through the the services here? We do, yes. So we actually had to pull stats earlier in the year. And I know back in 2016, we had less than 30 referrals in the year. And then the last three years, we've had 70 to 80 referrals minimum through the year for clients wanting to access the services. Um, at the moment, our wait list is six to 12 months, and we have about 60 to 80 people on our wait list, as well as current clients that are actually going through the training process. So it's a very busy clinic. And that is why it's so important that other people become involved, you know, um, educate themselves, develop an interest if they yeah. have already a little interest, you know, pursue it. Because, you know, obviously there is demand for um, service out there is, and, and it can't all reside in the one place. Mm. So, you know, obviously this needs to be more mm. widely accepted as an area of work. Mm, it's yeah. a growing area of practice for sure. Yes. And it's not just here in Melbourne that there is a demand for this service. You have clients coming from rural and remote areas as well and other states? Yes. So we uh, actually are very lucky to have a bit of funding through Monash Health here at La Trobe and they're supporting our regional, uh, rural and regional support network. So we used to have a lot of clients coming from down in Gippsland. We have a couple from New South Wales, Perth, um, Tasmania, accessing services at La Trobe. There are services now set up in other states, so I know 
Um, we've been in and we've been in talks with um, WA and, and Brisbane. Northern Territory have got a clinic set up as of now, which is fantastic to offer some services for clients wishing to alter their voice or modify voice and, and work with their voice. Um, some of those are only private clinics, so they may only be able to access with a cost, but at least that is slowly increasing as well. So we do still have clients from different states coming here, but we are working with other, other states to help with their supports. Fantastic, and hence what Alex just said a, a minute ago about if you have an interest as a speech pathologist in working in this area because the demand is growing so quickly. Yeah. And there are people who are willing to to help, you know, with that development. Mm. The, the supervision, the mentorship is there. It, it, you know, it's just a matter of, apart from the actual training and, uh, you know, um, events like the Speech Pathology Australia panel. So... I think it's great that, you know, to ask, to ask, ask for help. Mm. And that mentorship's very important too, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Mm. Definitely is, yep. So what should a speech pathologist do if a client presents seeking voice feminisation or masculinisation? What is the first step? What should a speech pathologist do with regards to that? I think that... Uh, I, I'm thinking about the general practice. If a referral comes in through the door, I suppose a speech pathologist needs to examine whether they have the skills to begin with, um, whether they would like the skills, <laughs> um, but also they examine their own um, understanding of the area of transgender and gender diverse community, um, their, uh, their own bias, examine mm. their own bias, because unfortunately this community is still met with a lot of prejudice and bias and so they really do need to understand their where you know their own um, cultural awareness mm. um, that's a first step but also of course yes they they um, have to work on gaining the skills in terms of their voice practice and um, and if they don't have the skills or they do some self-reflection and decide that they don't have that capacity at this stage but they intend to develop that where can they go in the meantime or who can they refer their clients on to in the meantime in terms of that overarching knowledge I think it's knowing the different services that are available and in Victoria Latrobe uh, voice clinic is one of the, the key resources and we are happy to support people so I will often say to my clients out in those rural regional areas we have a lot of clients in Bendigo and Ballarat and Albury. If you can find a voice clinician out there who is happy to help you, we will support them through this. Wow. So they can come and observe at the clinic. We provide our training manual. We go through the work that we do here and we offer observations for clinicians to come in and actually see what we do and how we do it. So I think knowing the services out there that will be able to support you um, that's what you just see the client yourself if yep. you feel like you have that baseline knowledge working with voice but just not working with this niche, pop niche population. Yes. Or, you know, whether you just don't feel prepared at all and you need to know where to refer to, where to get that client that support. There's resources and avenues out there. Yep. Um, and in addition, there are quite a few 
voice clinicians in Victoria uh, mm. who do work with um, gender diverse uh, and transgender population who are who kind of gather together to to work as sort of working groups and and there you know there's there are people out there that are always willing to to be at the other end of the phone. Yeah. I just think that's an extraordinary service that Latrobe's offering, where speechies can come in and um, and watch a session and, and gain those skills. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, we've been really lucky here that we do have that funding and time allocated. And I mean, we've had speechies from over in New South Wales that are now setting up clinics for students because we run a student clinic here as well, and it's part of our placement structure. So we've had a speechie come over from New South Wales who's now able to set that up over there as well and support the students and the clients in the community that need to access these services. So we do have those people come in and we're fine to do that as well. And in addition, I think you also do have lists of people who can support, so outside La Trobe. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we I think lists, that's really important. Yeah, yeah, lists of those clinicians who do work in this space so people literally just need to know who to refer on to. Yeah. Um, but we are, more than that, yeah, doing our best just to help up skilled clinicians that do want to work in this area because, like we said, it is a growing area of practice and we need those people working in this space, especially outside of... Like, uh, outside of the cities, mm. outside mm-hmm. of well, where we are in the northern suburbs yeah. because there is that demand in those rural and regional areas as yeah. well. Mm. And uh, as Alex said, we have a list here of speech pathologists that are interested in this area or can work in this area and that's across the states. So there is there's somebody in every state now that works mm. in this area, whether it be privately or publicly, there is somebody in every state now. So rather than see some of our clients from the Northern Territory having to travel to Sydney or Melbourne to get that care and support, they can now stay up there and they know they have those services. And we are happy, the, the speech pathologists on that list are happy to have their contact details shared as well. Because that really limits people in their ability to seek support if they have to travel interstate because it's also that financial burden that's on them as well as, you know, needing to leave family and, and jobs and things like that. So it's it's fantastic that there is more upskilling. But what about barriers then? Because there is clearly, you know, Latrobe University is offering some fantastic support. But what do you think are the barriers for speech pathologists to work in this area? And what would your suggestions be when trying to overcome those barriers? Yeah, so I'll talk a little to this one. I know with the support of uh, Speech Pathology Australia, early last year, Latrobe sent out um, a nationwide survey for all speech pathologists. And some of the key responses that came back around barriers to working in this area were things around gaps in knowledge and, and professional development opportunities. Um, one of the big ones was lack, lack of referrals from the community. And again, I think that's because um, other health professionals don't know that this is something that we can do, but also members of the community don't know where their local services are and that they can access these services as well. Uh, we actually got, we have some ongoing research right now and a lot of our people that came in for the research project who were interested in voice feminization, we were doing some interviews and a lot of people that was the first they'd heard of it, was our ad for our research project. People were maybe thinking, I, I don't, I want to work on my voice, maybe I'll do it through singing training, maybe I'll just look things up online and do it myself. Um, so, I mean, like myself, people don't know that these services exist, even though they might find them valuable. So, yeah. um, A couple of the other things that 
because there is that general um, understanding of, of voice and voice therapy, a lot of people said a lack of general voice experience to actually underpin the knowledge prior to that voice modification training. Um, but also there were a few people that just lacked interest in this clinical area, which happens across the board of speech pathologists. But I think um, the main thing in terms of facilitating this, if you are interested in the area, is increase your general voice knowledge and information. If you work in a system where you can accept general voice clients, just to get that extra experience in, do it. Um, lobby your organizations to refer or promote that you can provide this service um, and seek opportunities for professional development. Uh, literature that's out there around general voice, trans and gender diverse voice as well. Um, there are a couple of key organizations, so WPATH and OSPATH, which is the World Professional Association and the Australian Professional Association for Trans Health. Um, are all available they have websites they run professional development and conferences every year in different states around australia um obviously at the sba panel presentation that we've recorded that should be coming out soon that's a really key one to start mm -hmm. and we do discuss something that we're setting up at la trobe at the moment we're doing an online module um, for release later in 2020 and that's predominantly for rural and regional clinicians within Victoria but it will be accessible to anybody that that wants to actually increase their knowledge in this area. I think people sometimes find overwhelming is if they might have that technical experience working with voice but the idea of working with this population specifically might be stressful and it is you know, it's really important to have that cultural awareness to be on top of things like terminology how to be respectful, how to be a good ally, but there are so many resources out there for that as well, things that have been developed by the community specifically for this purpose, um, uh, specifically, I'm against an Australian context, things like the um, Trans 101 resource developed by Y Gender and Minus 18 is a really good place to start, yeah. but there are so many resources that are constantly being developed for just that general basic how do I work with a trans person respectfully? Those things are out there. So if people are interested in working in this space, um, but are feeling intimidated, just have have a search around. There's there's ways and means. And, and ask means. and ask yeah. us. Oh, we yeah. are not that intimidating ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> We're very approachable. Certainly not. <laughs> so, yeah. And we can link those resources to this podcast as well. So anybody who's interested in learning more, we will provide a resource yeah. list attached to this That's podcast great. as well. Yes, definitely. Mm. Yep. Well, thank you so much for your time speaking with us today, Emma and Alex and Sterling, and um, we look forward to um, hearing more from what you are all doing in this space going forward so thanks for your time Beautiful. thanks thank you, you. <laughs> bye we hope you enjoyed this week's conversation remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues thank you for listening and bye for now